Uh, the experience that we've had over this past six months with the COVID pandemic has been something completely new to us, hasn't it? We've um, struggled to come to grips with what it's meant for us as a community, what it's meant for us as a world, what it's meant for us as individuals. However, if we look back in history, the history of pandemics is something that the church was very, very familiar with. Uh, right back even in the very early centuries there were significant plagues and we've talked about some of those um, over the years uh, when we've talked about the response of the Christians in those contexts. If we go back into relatively recent history and I'm talking back into the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th centuries, plague was something that broke out from time to time and in Europe for example um, if you lived in a village in Europe you could expect maybe one in 10 years something would sweep through, the plague would sweep through, perhaps once in 30 years a really significant outbreak would take place. And it's worth remembering um, in those spaces that in terms of the mortality rate uh, for the plague back in say the 15th century, the mortality rate, that is the, the death rate for those who actually contracted the virus was something in the order of 60 to 90 percent compare that to the coronavirus pandemic where the mortality rate is somewhere in the order of 1% to 3% depending on the country and how you measure those statistics. So just imagine the trauma that uh, was experienced by people in those centuries and the questions, the trauma that the church had to face. And you know one of the things that we can do is actually look back and ask the question, how did the church respond in the face of those pandemics? How did individual Christians respond? And we have some rather interesting correspondence between Martin Luther, who of course was one of the leaders of the Protestant movement, and a colleague of his, John Hess. Because in 1527, uh, a plague struck Wittenberg, which of course was Martin Luther's home. And so Luther was personally faced with the question of what to do in the face of the pandemic. Now, in those days, a typical response, if you had the capacity or the means, was to run for the hills. In other words, get out of Dodge, leave town, get to somewhere else uh, where there wasn't an outbreak of the plague. And Luther could have done that, but instead he chose to stay and help the sick and the dying. And he corresponded with, uh, with Hess at this time and reflected on the manner in which our loving God works in places that we least expect him to be found. Uh, Luther was of the view that fear and illness and death should actually call us to care for the body, but that it actually pointed to something far deeper and that is the need to care for the soul. He wrote that this, uh, this plague is a sharp reminder that this world is not only our home, that the plague actually should be considered an evil, but that the greater evil actually is the evil that's within. And that uh, is something everyone needs to deal with. And so one of the responses Luther said to a pandemic actually ought to be repentance from sin. He also saw the pandemic as a test of faith and love. That is how we express our faith in God. And I've just been reflecting recently myself on how uh, when Paul and others talk about faith, they talk about it as, you know, walking by faith and living by faith. You know, faith's to be actually outworked. And uh, Luther reflected on that, that our faith in God is expressed by loving our neighbours. 
Kind of interestingly, in 1527, Luther made the decision to stay in the face of the pandemic and served the community that he was part of. Now, so far as I know, not too many of us have been faced with that same kind of uh, conundrum, should we stay or flee? We haven't had to make that choice, although I think there is... I just have a suspicion there's a couple of people, perhaps some from Melbourne, some perhaps even from here, who have tried to flee somewhere else. I know there were news reports early on of folks in Melbourne when they could see the looming lockdown, thought, oh, we'll escape to our home in the country down the Gippsland Lakes, I think, in one case. Not many of us have had to face that kind of challenge. Um, we have had to, uh, to, to face the call of, you know, washing our hands more regularly, using hand sanitizer. Gee, I wish I had shares in the hand sanitizer business eight months ago and to wear our face marks and, and meet in smaller groups as we've been doing. For Luther, heroic virtue was demonstrated by staying the course during the plague and helping those he was with. For us, heroic virtue has actually been staying the course during restrictions which have been uh, really difficult for some. And you know, if you want a spiritual application from this just before we start getting down to what I do want to talk about today, here it is. Um, I believe that the steady walk of obedience through the varying challenges of life that we face is of greater value in the sight of God than one act of heroic virtue. You know, I honour those people who have got to 60, 70, 80 years of life, have navigated their way through some of the deepest challenges that life's been able to throw at them and yet have hold, held fast to the love of Christ or more particularly the love of Christ has held fast to them and they have been able to testify to God's goodness through all of those years. It's great to, to be able to say, yes, I stepped out and I did this in a moment but what really matters is whether you actually finish the race and Paul talked about that running the race and finishing the race. Well, today I want to talk with you about three things that we've been reminded of by God as a result of the changes that we've experienced in the life of our church over the past six months. And so a fair portion of what I want to talk about today is going to be directed to our life as a congregation. So my apologies to those who are perhaps watching from afar and are not part of our church or those who are listening on radio and may not normally be part of our congregation. I think though what I'm going to talk about will actually resonate with you anyway. If you were with us last week you'll remember we spoke about the place of the experience of grief over this past six months or so and how naming grief, whether it's grief associated with uh, the losses we've experienced in the context of the pandemic, or any kind of grief is an important part of the process of actually being able to affect healing. Today I want to explore three things that God might just be saying to us or reminding us of in the context that we find ourselves in. Three things, just three things, there's probably many things actually, but three things of significance. The first one is this and it relates to uh, our life together and that is that we have been reminded that pastoral care is the responsibility of every person in the church. We already knew that of course, uh, we talk about that and we do our best to practice that in our small groups, in our, uh, uh, in our family groups or whatever but we have been reminded in a very poignant manner 
that just now uh, we need to do that for one another and it's the responsibility of all of us to do that. And in the process, uh, one of the delightful things is that we've discovered that there are people who have gifts in this area that have been released that might not otherwise have been able to exercise those gifts. You know, I was thinking about this in relation to um, Acts 6. We've been studying the book of Acts through this year and we'll return next week too, just by the way. And in Acts chapter 6, there was a problem that arose within the church. There were complaints about the manner in which food was being distributed to some of the widows, the Greek widows and the Hebraic widows. There was some tension there. And the apostles whose responsibility was the oversight of the community, could have said, okay, we will take that job on as well, but they didn't do that. If you remember Acts 6, uh, what happens there is, of course, they said to the community, let's choose some others, let's release the gifts in others to do this work. And so rather curiously, the community got together and prayed and they chose seven men who were known to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be wise. They didn't just pick any people. They didn't just lob the job on anyone. Um, They chose people who were known to be filled with the Holy Spirit and who were wise. You want to think about that as a qualification even for the distribution of bread or food, but it is actually a spiritual gift, the gift of being able to help others. And so it requires the engagement of the Holy Spirit. And they released, the apostles released those people into that ministry. They took responsibility for it and exercised the gifts that God gave them. If you jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, Paul reminds us that God has appointed First of all, apostles, prophets, third teachers and workers of miracles, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration and those of speaking different kind of tongues. Now, I don't know whether you've ever heard uh, a message uh, on spiritual gifts. I'm guessing if you've been around the church for any length of time, you will have. And one of the risks associated with that is we emphasise the public gifts, the charismatic gifts, you know, the obvious gifts, the prophets, the healers, the apostles, that kind of stuff. But there in that passage is mention of those who are able to help others. It is a gift that God has given, the gift of being able to help others. And all too often, perhaps we focus on on the really shiny, exciting looking ones and overlook the significant gift of just being able to help others in whatever form that might take. I do want to also just say that um, as a pastor, I do get a little bit anxious sometimes about talking about pastoral care because I know even within the context of the church family, there will be some who feel that they have been isolated, who perhaps haven't had much contact with others, have not received a phone call or had someone reach out to them And that's a hard place to be and it's a hard thing for us to hear. We struggle to know whether we're catching everyone, whether everyone's linked in, uh, whether there is anyone slipping through the cracks. And so I guess one of the things I would say is something that I've said um, to people in the past too is that um, you need to be the kind of friend that you want want your uh, friends to be. And so if you're struggling in that way, reach out yourself, um, make a call, Uh, make some contact with someone and initiate it even if it hasn't been initiated with you. Just take that step of boldness 
and make the connection. God has reminded us through this time that caring for one another is the responsibility of all of us. The second one that um, I've been thinking through is this one, uh, and it's a curious one considering that I'm standing here today inside our church building, but we have been reminded so sharply that the church is not the building. In fact, um, we know from history that the church has met in all kinds of contexts, typically in the very early days, they met in houses. If you have a look at um, Romans chapter 16, verse 3, for instance, Paul wrote uh, and sent a greeting to Priscilla and Aquila and the church that met in their house. If you have a look at Colossians 4, chapter 5, again, uh, there Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians, but he sent special greetings to the church that met in the house of Nympha. And so if you're meeting together in a house today, you are in great company in terms of uh, the historical antecedent there for the church meeting in homes. However, the church in history has met under trees, it's met in caves, it's met in paddocks, it's met in sheds, it's met, you know, I was chatting, uh, I think um, might have even mentioned this, chatting there with Colin a week or two ago uh, and how he used to have a prayer meeting with some of his colleagues in a bus. That's the church meeting in a bus, how fantastic is that? And from time to time I've cruised by our building that we have and here it stands in silent testimony to what used to happen here and I've wondered what do people who drive past or live in our neighbourhood think about the church? Is the church closed? Has God kind of disappeared from the world or the community? Is the church still operating in some way? Well, we know the truth of Acts chapter 17, verse 24, which says, The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. We know that God can be encountered anywhere. He lives in our hearts and desires to live in our hearts. So wherever we are, wherever we go, God will be found. And one of the things that I think we've discovered in this past six months is that we don't need this building as much as we thought we did. Now, I don't want for a moment to, uh, to belittle or to minimise the work and energy and sacrifice that people have made in providing what is a fantastic facility and a great resource that we have and will continue to be. But we have been reminded that we've been able to be the church without the building. We could be recording this somewhere outside if we needed to be in a backyard or a shed or whatever. Just as a little aside, I uh, was um, reminded of uh, an experience I had some years ago. I was listening to Alan DeMond, who is the senior pastor of the New Hope Baptist Church in um, Blackburn North, who was sharing of the experience that they went through when they did some of their building renovations, changing their building to try and uh, adjust for ministry. And he said, you need to bear in mind when you think about your buildings, when you think about the physical facilities that you have as a church, the church facility, the form of those buildings will always shape the functions. In other words, the shape of your building will always shape your ministry. And when you're building a new facility, you think, well, we're going to be able to do this, we'll be able to do that. Ultimately, you might, but your building will always shape what you can do. And that is true for us as well. Right now, to all intents and purposes, we don't have a building. 
We're not using it for ministry. It's not our base. Our building does not shape us right now. And so you can imagine how that actually releases new possibilities for ministry. And I'll talk more about that in a moment. We will, I expect in time, be at a place where we'll start to use our building again. And I'm, for one, looking forward to the dynamic of worshipping with a a great gathering of God's people. The, The experience of corporate worship is very special. As a preacher, I am so looking forward to being able to do this in front of living people again and enjoy the interaction and the dynamics of of being uh, with people. But in the long term, I just want to put this out there for you. As the pastor here at the Wodongran District Baptist Church, uh, I'm not keen for us just to default back to what we were doing. In fact, If someone comes and says, David, I've got an idea for a a ministry or an activity, one of the questions I'm going to ask is, can it be done somewhere else? Can we do it in the community? Can we do it in a neighbourhood? Can we do it away from our building and and decentralise our ministry from our building centricity, in other words, having everything focused here, to a more organic approach to what we do ministry-wise? In case you're wondering whether people in our community think that the church is closed, don't worry. Please don't be worried about that. Um, Our physical absence from our building has the potential to do two things. The first is it's a salient reminder that God can meet us anywhere. And second, it actually provides us with the opportunity to re-educate our community about what church really is. It's not the building it's the people. I was chatting to some local residents just here around Melrose Drive a couple of weeks ago and they asked me how long did I think the church was going to be closed for and I said to them the church is not closed at all, it's just doing stuff in other places. It's just the building that's closed. The scripture tells us in John chapter 16 verse 7 that Jesus had to go back to the Father so that the Holy Spirit could come. And I wonder whether we will look back in a year or two or three and consider whether the absence of the usual gathering of God's people in the building actually led to a greater testimony of the presence of God in the community. Perhaps God wanted to get us out of this place to be in other places. You and I are the answer to that question. So the second thing that God reminds us of is that the building's not really what it's all about. And the third thing uh, is this, I think we have been awakened to uh, new possibilities in ministry in the local community, in our neighbourhoods. For decades, we have lived in a big world. You know, we think globally, don't we? We talk about this um, global mindset. People who've got the means are able to travel, were able to travel, You've thought nothing of perhaps flying to London. I mean, obviously, you plan and prepare and save and and all of that, but there was traffic movement everywhere. The world was a big place and suddenly it's become a much smaller place. And this has caused me, as I've sat at my desk at home, looking out over the street and watching the, the number of people who move backwards and forwards, bikes and prams and cars and 
and, uh, and what was the other thing? Dogs and all sorts of stuff, children. There's an enormous number of people that I didn't even know existed that passed by my house every day because I'm so often not there. And so I'm starting to think, okay, how do I engage? How do I interact with these people? Gail Hill, who's known to a number of our fellowship, wrote these words in a recent communication from the Baptist Union of Victoria. It was a really helpful summary, I think, of some of the thinking that we've been shaping over the past 18 months. And so it'll come as no surprise to those of you who are part of our fellowship as we have kind of started the process of reshaping our connecting with our neighbourhood. This is what Gail wrote. Jesus taught us to pray each day, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Beginning to discover God's dream for your neighbourhood is the starting place for community engagement. As Christians, we often feel like we need to look for brokenness or the problems or the deficits in our community and then go and try and fix them. Instead, a good place to start is by looking at what is strong, what is resilient, what is good, just and aligned with the kingdom values and the fruit of the spirit. When we look for where God's kingdom is already breaking forth in the neighbourhood, we'll begin to find partners and opportunities to work alongside the spirit in what God is already doing. That's an exciting rejigging of our thinking about connecting in our neighbourhood. You know, some years ago, I was involved in teaching in the area of community development and one of the very important starting points for community development frequently overlooked by people who want to help build capacity in another community is asking the community themselves what they want, what are their longings, what are their dreams, what are their desires. And almost without fail, if you as a community development volunteer or whatever capacity you might be, go in and just impose on them an idea, no matter how good the idea might be, no matter how godly the idea might be, if it doesn't raise some desire or doesn't connect with a desire in the community, it's almost inevitably going to fail at some point. In fact, it's almost a guarantee. Those of you part of our family might remember when we did the BLESS series, those four, five letters stood for uh, five words that help us remember how to connect. Begin with prayer was obviously the most important thing. Start with communicating with God. The second thing, if you remember the letter L, stood for listen carefully. Listen to the longings, the heart of the people that we are ministering to. That's a really important starting point. Listening to what the Holy Spirit is doing, looking for clues of God's redemptive activity in that space that we might join in and bring capacity and value into that space. Just this past week or so, I was with our elders, we were continuing to meet fairly regularly and, and I put to them uh, an idea that's been cogitating for some time for um, a, a kind of a roadmap or should I say uh, an opportunity for innovation in terms of uh, engaging our neighbours and our neighbourhoods. And I just want to say in a very preliminary way today, you might have some thoughts about something that you could do to help bring capacity in your neighbourhood or add value to your neighbourhood or bless those people who you live around and be a blessing that they might know the blessings of Christ. If that's the case, 
start just giving that some more thought, you know, because what we want to do as a church is actually start encouraging that and facilitating that and resourcing that. And there'll be more information about that over the next couple of weeks. The emphasis that we've had uh, on our neighbourhood churches also has, uh, has the potential to impact our community in a more organic manner. And so by anchoring our worship in our neighbourhoods where people are praying together and reading the scriptures together, I just think that's got the potential to bless the community that we are part of in amazing ways. You know, the scripture talks about the rain falling on the righteous and the unrighteous. Just imagine the blessing of, of our, our, our church being church wherever our neighbourhood churches meet. And the last thing I do want to say to you today is this, you know, and I've said this on a number of occasions, now is not the time for us to be placeholders. We are not here holding the fort, just keeping things ticking along until we can get back to normal because things aren't just going to get back to normal. Uh, and God doesn't ask us just to be placeholders, uh, holding the line until uh, things change. God is leading us and inviting us and moving us forward even during this time that's been quite challenging and our desire, the desire of our elders, the desire of our staff team, I believe the desire of our church is that we might be in step with the Spirit of God, blessing those around us, uh, growing uh, into what God has for us, glorifying God as he grows his kingdom here in Albury, in Wodonga, in our district and in our world. Let's join together in prayer. Uh, we're going to pray for that and also just uh, some prayer around uh, some of the things that we are challenged by at the moment. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, the creator and sustainer of life and community, Father, we want to just thank you for the things that you have been reminding us of over this past few months. Lord, we're thankful for the reminder that uh, the job of caring for one another is, is our responsibility as much as anyone else's. And Lord, um, it's not always easy to do that. Um, sometimes we feel particularly isolated. Lord, help us to step out of our cocoons or out of our um, anxiety about that and just grow into that space. Lord, you've reminded us that the building functional that it has been and will continue to be is not the church and that there is so much we can do outside our walls. We thank you, Lord, for the reminder that um, Jesus gave us that we are to love our neighbours and our neighbours are not some person way off in another country, though they are. They're not way off in another state, though they are. They're the people we live amongst, the people in our streets, the people in the neighbourhood that we are part of. Lord, today we continue to pray uh, that you would watch over our community in light of um, this, the ongoing challenges and struggles with the pandemic. Lord, we pray for the sick, those who are vulnerable, those who have been infected, those who have been isolated. Sustain their bodies and spirits, we pray, and we do ask that you would contain the spread of this infection, not only here but across our world. Lord, we pray for those who are vulnerable in our populations. We pray for our elderly, for those suffering from chronic diseases, for those 
who are poor, those who, uh, who need medical attention but perhaps are frightened to seek it at the moment. Lord, we pray for the young and the strong. God, give them the caution that they need to keep them from uh, unwittingly spreading anxiety or even spreading the disease. Lord, we pray for our state and federal government, for those who have to make decisions, those who apportion resources, those who determine uh, how we might contain the spread of the disease and how they uh, balance that against the needs of our economy and life together. We pray for our scientific community, Lord. There's much in the news about uh, vaccines and uh, we recognise, Lord, that some folks are putting all their hopes in that. But, Lord, our hope is in you and we affirm that again today. Lord, we pray for our media and pray that there might be people in that space committed to disseminating truth and not opinions. We pray for consumers of media. Help us to be well informed. Help us to connect into uh, resources and information that will make, uh, help us make good decisions. Keep us from anxiety and panic, we pray. We pray for those with mental health, for those who have been isolated, for those who, whose uh, mental health has been compromised perhaps uh, over these last weeks and months. God, provide for them the necessary support that they need. For the homeless, Lord, for those who, uh, who struggle in that space, for those who are overseas and can't return home, Lord, just be with them. For those who, miss, who minister on you, our behalf, uh, for you in other countries, we're mindful of some from our own church that we support. Lord, just sustain them, we pray. Uh, grant to them hope, equip them to love and serve those they are with. For workers in various industries, Lord, who have faced layoffs and hardships, we pray that you would... Uh, inspire others to be generous towards them. For families, for children who've had to wrestle with homeschooling and balance the needs of work and children, for parents who can't stay home and have had the tension that, uh, that that has created, for those in need of regular treatment or therapy or uh, surgery that has had to be postponed, gracious God, we pray that you would sustain them. Lord, for churches, for businesses, for students and for our neighbours, we lift them before you today, Father, and entrust them into your hands and seek that your will be done. God, we know that you are in control. We affirm that again. We know that we can trust you because we've been able to trust you in the past. You have demonstrated your trustworthiness in all contexts. Bless your community today, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.